I'm Sean Adams. Welcome to the Drowned in Sound podcast. This very first interview to kick off a brand new version of our podcast is with Naomi Pohl. She's the General Secretary of the Musicians Union, which the trade union represents, well, you'll soon find out a lot of musicians from the UK. This special episode looks at how she is helping musicians with streaming, with fairer pay, and with better working conditions. Let's jump right in. I was looking up all the different things that you're doing and what's on your plate for this year is both impressive and must be quite daunting. The general gist I got from what the MU does, and I tried to sum it up to someone, is that you push for fairer pay for artists and better conditions. Would that be a decent nutshell summary? Absolutely, yeah. So we're a trade union. Um, so we represent 33,000 musicians working in the UK across all areas of the music business. So from recording studios to orchestras to gigging, touring musicians, um, songwriters, um, so, yeah, it's a really mixed bag um, and we're here to try and get fair pay and conditions for um, musicians across all of those different areas of work. Um, and we do a lot of campaigning on their behalf as well. And also we provide benefits. So as a member, you get, uh, for example, um, public liability insurance, legal advice, um, contract advice. So, yeah, I, I mean... It's a great organisation. I'm very lucky to do the job I do, I think. I think this year alone, the UK has probably learned a lot more about trade unions than it has before. And I think in the US, there's been a lot more of a trade union movement. So I probably don't need to explain what a trade union does. But you said that you represent, is it 33,000 artists? Yeah. I mean, if you look at some of the big unions that are in the news at the moment that represent um, nurses, for example, you know, they, they're bigger um, in terms of membership numbers. But... Um, you know, there's much smaller unions than us as well. Uh, so I think for the size of union we are, we really punch above our weight. Do you have any data on like how many musicians aren't members in the UK? Because I, I don't really get a sense of how many people, I know I often see stats about how many people have bought guitars and things, but do you have any knowledge of how many people there are that are not members? We've been talking about this actually, because um, if, you know, obviously one of our objectives is to try and increase membership and we want, you know, the more musicians we have in membership, the stronger we are as an organisation. It's very difficult to get to the bottom of how many musicians are out there that we could potentially recruit into membership. Um, I mean, we, I think UK Music produce a report, um, and but they've got probably a wider definition of kind of music makers than, than we have possibly. But yeah, it could be could be anything from kind of, well, 80, 90, 100,000. Um, but of course, not all musicians are necessarily active all of the time. So, it's you know, some musicians join us and then they might drop out for a period of time when they're, they're not working um, mm. and then they might come back in at a later date. Uh, so, yeah, it's really difficult to get a figure. So representing those artists, one of your roles is lobbying big organisations and the government. What's the government like to deal with? I can't imagine from being an outsider. I know there's a very interesting mix of people and obviously you don't just deal with the governing party, but how's, how is that? Well, basically it's all about relationships. Um, so at the moment, we're a Labour-affiliated trade union. Um, trade unions traditionally are you know, much more um, closely aligned with the Labour Party than they are the Conservative Party. So obviously, we've got a Conservative government, it's very difficult for us to get any traction with them. So sometimes we work through other organisations, like there's a an organisation called UK Music, 
which is an umbrella body for the whole of the music industry, and they have a closer relationship with the Conservatives. So um, potentially some of our priorities could be um, progressed through their relationships. We've got a brilliant relationship with the Labour Party. We're actually quite actively involved in Labour. We're on their executive committee. Um, So we're able to um, quite easily get across some of our priorities and get their support. But, you know, there's individual MPs across different political parties who we have a relationship with. For example, Esther McVeigh's a Conservative MP who's been um, instrumental in pushing the streaming issue for us, music streaming royalties. Um, And there's a select committee, which is basically a cross-party group of MPs, which is dedicated to to digital culture, media and sport. So that's the select committee that we have a relationship with. And there's MPs who are really passionate about the arts, again, that sit across the different political parties. So, you know, there's MPs we have a great relationship with, we see often. Some MPs we only have a relationship with um, once in a while when a particular issue crops up. Um, But yes, our job to try and have some influence on behalf of our members. I imagine music might be an easier thing to talk to a lot of politicians about. There must be trade unions for all sorts of things. Like I imagine like farmers, obviously people eat, but it's probably not as easy a topic to kind of engage people on. And I assume the kind of emotion, emotional depth and connection people have with music probably helps sometimes. Definitely. Um, At the end of the day, most people like music. So you can sometimes find an in with a politician by finding out which bands they like and taking them to a gig or something like that. I think <laughs> we should we should do more of that as an organisation because obviously we've got access to musicians. So if we run events um, in Parliament, we usually put on some hmm. music. And so at the Conservative Party conference, we had uh, the Brodsky Quartet, so classical music. Hmm. Um, but when we see the Labour Party, somebody might have somebody who's a bit more grassroots, like rocky, poppy hmm. kind of... So, yeah, you want to see what doors you can push with people, really. Well, does that mean on the register of interest at some point, I'll see like £14.50 gig at like Brixton Academy or something on someone's register of interest that they were gifted a ticket? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, I'm going I'm to I'm actually actively look for that going forward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes um, they declare if they're members of the Musicians Union, for example, because obviously they've got a bit of an interest in what we do. In fact, and that's the main thing I wanted to talk to you about today is Kevin Brennan and various other MPs. I like the fact that every time Kevin introduces himself, he has to declare that he's a musician and he's a member of the Musicians Union. Um, And they are working towards making streaming slightly fairer for artists. Um, Obviously, making it much fairer would be probably the better way of phrasing that. But um, for a long time... There's been discourse online about streaming. I think some people understand better in recent years that when you're paying $9.99 a month or £120 a year, that 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 money isn't going directly to the artists you're listening to. From your point of view, how does what the Musicians Union is asking for from these big multinational corporations or asking the government to ask these big multinational corporations, how does that differ from what the major labels or the songwriters unions or like, how does it differ? What, what, what is it that you really want for musicians? I guess is the simple version of my question. Well, what we'd like is guaranteed royalties for every musician from music streaming. So if you, if you're a backing musician and you play on a track, you ought to get a royalty that happens with radio play. So we think that, 
there's a logic that um, streaming can be used like radio because of playlisting um, regularly is. So we think there should be a little payment that goes um, per stream to the session musicians, the backing musicians mm-hmm. on the tracks. And would that if be for their performance? Because there's like a, something called a performance royalty, isn't there? Is that what that would be for? Or would that just be, yeah? Yeah. So as a performer, you, um, you've got rights in your recorded performance, um, which generate royalties for you. And that's how a lot of musicians sustain careers over a long period of time and how they pay their rent. It's kind of that those royalties that trickle through. And if you're a featured artist, again, we think you should get a guaranteed royalty. Um, so some artists, particularly who were signed on contracts before streaming even existed, might be on a really low royalty rate. And the label's not going to revisit that unless they have to. So at the moment, we're trying to get a better package together, agreed by the industry, where we can just guarantee better better royalties coming through to artists, whether they're backing musicians or whether they're the featured artists. I, I saw last year there's a label called, I think they're called Revival Records, where they've got lots of the singers on big dance tracks that got paid like a day rate to go in and record vocal on a track that's become a massive hit. And they've been going into Abbey Road and places, re-recording those kind of classic songs with the singer that that probably is quite anonymous and even probably wasn't even properly credited on the tracks. And it does seem like there's a lot of history that needs to be repaired in the industry. And um, I noticed that's one of the things I've seen you talk about a few times in online, like the the way the Fortet deal, which I don't, I don't suspect you can talk about the details of, but like the complexity of a deal that was signed 20 years ago and an artist just wanting to be freer from it. And I don't think people understand that sometimes an artist is sort of trapped would you would you put it that way <laughs> absolutely yeah i mean you yeah you sign a deal um and at the time you might be offered a nice advance so you think great i've got some money in my pocket that's money that's going to help me to tour it's money that might sustain me for a couple of years potentially but then what happens next and your recording is tied in for the whole life of copyright um so 70 years that label is going to own your recording and they're going to benefit from it financially and you might not benefit from it financially very much. Um, so one of the big campaigners around this issue is Tom Gray, who's a member of Gomez, mm-hmm. which is a band that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's never had any streaming royalties, but it's a band that certainly for someone my age is like, it's, you know, household name. And yet, so you would think they've got royalties but they haven't. They got that one-off advance and they've never had any streaming royalties at all since, um, which is outrageous, especially when catalogue music, kind of older music, is actually really popular on streaming platforms. And it's it's the argument that they couldn't foresee streaming when they signed the deal, so it wasn't negotiated. And, like, is that one of the big things you're, like, trying to get the labels to kind of reset what those deals are given the new reality? Yeah. So the labels could um, voluntarily increase the percentage royalty that they pay out on music streaming. Um, We think that's the right thing to do. There's a debate about is streaming like radio? Should it generate royalties like radio? Or is it like a sale, Um, which is the way labels treat it at the moment, which conveniently means they can pay quite a low royalty rate. Um, Is it a broadcast? Uh, Is it a license? So this is where there's been a couple of cases um, where an artist has actually pursued a legal case and they've argued that it's a license and a license pays 50% royalty. So the thing is, it's not clear at the moment in the law what streaming is. Um, and we feel the law hasn't really caught up with 
technological change. Um, so that's why we're lobbying for changes in copyright law, which would guarantee royalties for our members. It, it's interesting, actually. The reason this podcast stopped in 2006 when we originally started it was because we played music and because it was a downloadable, low-quality MP3, essentially a compilation album with conversation on it, it was classed as we would have to pay the same as if you bought a song from iTunes. We spent right. a year or so pushing for like, can we get like a hospital radio license to do this, essentially a radio show that you can download? Um, but no, it was set to, well, if you're giving away a Best of Coldplay compilation, this is how much you should pay. And that was the, that was where the royalty rate was. And I've... So I've obviously followed a lot of this debate as someone that runs a record label and manages artists. And the um, I know there's lots of different sides of the fence of it. And as a consumer who really likes streaming music and spending hours flicking through things. And so it, it constantly surprises me that the focus is always on Spotify when streaming encompasses YouTube, which I think often is a bigger platform for, especially for some artists. Bandcamp, for instance, an amazing platform, but you don't get paid anything per stream on Bandcamp because it's seen as a promotional thing that goes with your downloads. Like there's TikTok where the streaming is like huge and music is obviously central to the platform, but it doesn't seem to be centering a lot of these conversations. And in a way, TikTok's more like a sync, so it should almost be paid kind of more than <laughs> the music that's because you're putting the music to your videos. Um do you, yeah. do you, I, I, this is not a do you agree question, but do you think that often the discourse around streaming, especially on social media and because artists can see their data, feels like it's focused on Spotify when Google, Amazon, Apple are three of the biggest companies in the world? Instagram, we've not even mentioned, and Facebook, where music is streamed and um, is part of the ecosystem. And that doesn't seem to ever be something that people are worried about as Spotify. So whereabouts do you see where the focus should be? But obviously, I've just listed so many things and not suggesting it's any one of them. Well, again, I think the conversation needs to catch up with what people are actually doing, how they're listening to music. And I just don't think that's happened. I mean, Spotify... Interestingly, they're in quite a tricky position because they are um, purely music streaming, whereas a company like Google, which owns YouTube or Amazon, their primary business is different. Like Google, it's a search engine um, and uh, Amazon, they sell products. Obviously, they've got their online shopping kind of service, delivery service. And so in a way, they can afford to use uh, to sell music streaming and make a loss because it's propped up by other areas of their business, whereas that's not the case for Spotify, and yet they're competing on price. So one of the big issues with music streaming is that the pricing has been static for so long. And actually, there was an investigation into um, consumers' relationship with streaming recently. Um, and basically, consumers are getting a great deal because they get more and more music all the time in their back pocket for 10 quid a month when you know, it's, that's actually not a good deal for the music industry and the people who create the music. So, you know, and obviously there's a growth in streaming in terms of subscribers, but the pricing stayed the same. So you can imagine why the per stream royalty mm. rates are diminishing. Because um, I think even on basic inflation, I think when Spotify launched, you could probably buy three pints at a gig for the price of a yeah. month subscription. And now you can barely buy one. <laughs> so yeah. like, I think 6.99 or something I've seen and 750 for like a pint at a gig so it's 
I know that's a really basic way of looking at inflation. <laughs> and obviously there's reasons why things have gone up at gigs as well. Um, but it's like Netflix has obviously, I think, doubled, I think, since it launched. Yeah. And the it, it seemed to me that it wouldn't damage some of the bigger players to just put their prices up and which in a way would help Spotify. <laughs> Definitely. I Yeah, for me, once the industry has come together and we've got a fairer deal for artists, the next step is to try and tackle the pricing issue because it just it's just not right. Um, and I always think about when I used to buy a CD and it was eleven ninety nine, you know, and that was for one album. Mm. Obviously, I'd listened to it multiple times. But now it's, yeah, 10 quid a month and you get all of music. And as you say, Netflix... Um, and Amazon, they put up their prices on the audiovisual streaming side of things. But the other thing is that if you subscribe to Spotify, you probably only subscribe to Spotify. Um, whereas with TV, because they have exclusive content, you might actually sign up to um, Disney, you might sign up to Amazon, Now TVs, uh, mm. Netflix, you know, you might have multiple accounts, whereas that's not really happening in music streaming. So again, it's just less money's going back into the pot to pay the people who create the content. Because it's it's interesting to think that people don't think twice about, I think it's about £30, £33 something for Sky Sports. And that's access to a few matches a week and not always, not even like your favourite team every week. Um, and you look at the way in which some other platforms are kind of built it doesn't always feel like like VR, for instance. Some of the the things on there, they're like a five ninety nine a month subscription, and that's just for one game, <laughs> like Adobe, oh, yeah. Adobe Suite that like lots of musicians use Premiere and things to edit videos, and um, like podcasters use the the, the Adobe's kind of like Photoshop and all those things. That's fifty pounds a year, fifty pounds upwards a year, I think, um, for the basic yeah. package. So I think music feels cheap and. Um, I used to have quite a big issue and I wrote about this once in a, a piece about you walk into a record shop and the greatest albums of all time are at the front of the store and three for £10. But the new release you want to buy was like £12. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like we've worked out what music's value is. And do you, do you think in some of the conversations that you have with the government and with different uh, organisations, do they, do they not really understand the value of music? Is that part of the problem? Well, I think the select committee who have been um, looking into music streaming and, you know, thank God they have mm. because they've um, really driven the conversation forward. There's no way that the major record labels would sit down with us and try and do a better deal for artists without um, government intervention. So this select committee have really got behind the issue and they're very passionate about it and it's absolutely been fantastic. So they held a recent session just before Christmas where I was giving evidence and they basically said how much progress has been made um, since we first started looking into this issue. And we said, well, not a lot of progress, mm. to be honest. There's certainly no more money going into my members' pockets. Um, so It's been almost still... two years now, hasn't it, since the inquiry started? Is that, or is it over? Is it... Yeah, yeah, it has. And, you know, there's been so much kind of talk about it in the press. Mm. Um, but there's not been enough conversation going on behind the scenes to actually try and fix the problem. So we're still pushing and thankfully the government is still pushing as well. And what do you think the government can do to change the way, like obviously lots of these are multinational corporations and I know that in the US there's a like, similar 
movement to get Congress to push for this as well. And I, I think it was Elizabeth Warren or someone I think I've seen speaking about it. What What do you think that the government can do? Because obviously we currently have a government that don't like to intervene with business um, and seem quite happy for our rivers to be full of sewage and all sorts of things. What What do you think they actually can do? And, and what's your hope, I guess? Well, they can change the law. Um, that's what we're asking for. So what they're doing at the moment is saying the industry needs to fix this problem. You should be negotiating. You should come up with a solution by yourselves. But if you don't, we can change the law. Um, so the law, um, there's actually a right for performers to receive a royalty when their the music they performed on is played on the radio. So we're saying we ought to have the same system in place. It should actually be statutory. Um, and then nobody can wriggle out of it and contracts can't waive that right to get a royalty. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's the sort of backstop position. Um, if we don't get a deal, then we will keep pushing for, for the law to change. And whereabouts it sits at the moment, is there similar movements in governments around the world, like other than US? Like I've, I don't think I've seen much, because obviously there's musicians everywhere. Is it because there aren't unions of musicians everywhere? No, there are unions of musicians everywhere. Mm. So uh, last week I went to um, Norway to meet with the Nordic mm. Musicians Unions um, and they're all having the same debate in their own territories as well. In European territories, um, in Spain, they've now introduced a guaranteed royalty on music streaming for performers. Um, there's a deal in France. Uh, so this is happening. It's being replicated around the world. Um, I mean, unfortunately, there are some territories um, in Africa, for example, where they've still got not got basic rights for some of their musician members. So they might be a bit further behind on this, but they'll get there. You know, it's an international debate. Um, and what will be the next steps with the inquiry? Like, I don't think I've seen a new date come out. Is there a is there like a six months, a year? Like, what's the what's the timeline of things going forwards? Yeah, so they've just um, held this session, as I say, just before Christmas, which was like an update session. They produced another report with some recommendations. Um, we're now having discussions with the industry uh, to try and progress the issue of um, remuneration. So basically, where's the money? Mm. Let's talk about the money. Um, and then I think the select committee are going to convene another meeting in six months to see if we've got any further. Um, and obviously, you speak up on behalf of musicians, but... Is it useful for more musicians to speak up? Like, should they be withdrawing their labour? Like I saw a lot of musicians just pulled their music around the Joe Rogan stuff last year. Um, Is that something which, like, what would you encourage someone to do if if they want to help make a difference right now to streaming? Well, um, absolutely. Like the the way that we get the government's attention is by people speaking out. And that's not just musicians, but actually consumers speaking out about it as well and saying, I'm a music lover. I, you know, I want to see a a fair share of the money that I pay going to the artist. That's all really helpful. So one of the most useful things actually is musicians being able to say, this is how much money I make from streaming because it's always shocking. And sometimes, you know, it ranges from nothing to somebody might have 17 million um, streams and only get 250 quid, Mm. you know? Uh, So those figures are really useful. So people sharing their own experiences, people can write to their local MP, um, which helps to put more pressure on the government. That's a really easy thing to do. You can find out who your MP is by um, just having a Google. Um, is they work for you, just, isn't it, that website? That's right. They work for you, yeah. So 
I mean, that's a really simple action you can take to help get uh, some additional pressure because they have to listen to you if you're if you live in their constituency. Mm. Um, so, obviously, the music the music industry has been quite financially precarious. Not just because of streaming. Obviously, live is a bit different to where it was. All sorts of income streams. There's more musicians than ever releasing music, so it's financially more um, challenging. How do you think that creates an environment where inclusion, diversity, and safety? is not uh, it's, it's slightly more precarious than it could or should be because i know that some of the big campaigns you've been running have been around safer spaces in the industry do you think the financial element is a contributing factor to that it is yeah i mean one of the things we want to do this year is look at um conditions for freelancers and how they're treated and i think unfortunately when people are really struggling to make ends meet they accept things that they shouldn't accept and they keep quiet about things that they shouldn't tolerate. Um, so, for example, if you're touring and you're not making enough money, you're more likely to stay in a hotel that's really far from the venue. So you're going to be traveling really late at night. You're not going to be able to afford to get a taxi. You you know, you might be lift sharing with people um, traveling back really late at night when you're exhausted. You know, unfortunately, musicians are forced to make less safe decisions sometimes i think and also unfortunately the power dynamics in the industry mean that if you're sexually harassed by somebody who can make or break your career it's very difficult if you're struggling financially to step back from that relationship make a report you know and, and potentially the consequences of that could be that you stop making money and you or you lose opportunities as a musician so I think the precarious nature of the industry and the work um, and low payment leads to all sorts of problems. Um, and, you know, we're really um, concerned about artist welfare and that's something that the industry has to prioritise. And I th one of the things I think um, the Musicians Union was involved in setting up was a, was a line that people could call or an address they could send information to because obviously as a freelancer, you don't have a HR team to go speak to or a like someone that the reports in that because the checks and balances just aren't there like i think there's been a lot of conversations about when's music's me too movement going to happen because actually no one loses their jobs musicians are tied into concert contracts they're tied into festival deals and record deals and it's not in a lot of those people's interests to, to be ethical <laughs> to, to put it lightly um what are the, what are some of the other things that like you've set up that that contact? How do how do people use that? Well, um, yeah, so we set up a safe space email account so people can make confidential reports, sometimes anonymous reports um, of sexual harassment in the music industry, and we've had hundreds of reports, um, and it's horrifying. I think the really shocking thing is that sexual harassment happens in all sorts of different environments. It might be at a festival, a gig, it might be on tour, it might be when you're staying in hotels, it might be, you know, when you're away from home so you're a bit more vulnerable, it might be in the studio, um, it might be in an orchestra environment. So unfortunately, it's something that's happening all the time. Because of the power imbalance, people often don't talk up, but we wanted to give somewhere safe that people could go to get some basic advice and support and actually, the Me Too movement is happening um, and the government have taken an interest in this issue. So there's talk about an independent body being set up that could look into complaints mm -hmm. from freelancers, which would be really helpful, somewhere independent that people could go. But at the moment, we're trying to provide that service and you don't have to be an MU member to make a report 
to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we will try and help. Um, and so we've called people out. It's just we're not doing it in public. Yeah. Often it's like we write a letter to someone and say, we've had this report. We understand you've done this. This is unacceptable. And we try and take cases on that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are huge challenges for the industry to address. I, you've probably got to be diplomatic around this question and I, I can edit this out if you don't want to answer it. But how do you think having a government where there's currently like the Deputy Prime Minister under investigation for bullying, Priti Patel's bullying kind of turned a blind eye to, do you have hope and faith that the government will take this seriously? Because it doesn't seem like they take it seriously within Parliament where there were MPs that are still in their seats for quite serious accusations. Like where like society obviously needs to change. The music industry is a microcosm of that. But do you have faith that this government will take this seriously? I mean, look, we're affiliated to the Labour Party, mm. so I've got hope that we might get a Labour government yeah. who would um, act differently. I mean, Labour have been um, running disciplinary processes for members that have, you know, not met certain standards. Mm-hmm. Um, the government certainly has a responsibility to set the standard. Um, have they done that effectively no, clearly not. Mm. It just feels like there's always someone in the press who's done something mm. that they shouldn't have done, um, whether it comes to their tax affairs or whether it comes to harassment and bullying. Um, but, you know, I will say that they um, they did kick off a process, which has meant that we are now talking about in setting up a standards authority, which would cover um, TV, theatre, music, film. Um, so that's a real positive And that was something that was initiated by the government. And I think it's always good to remember there's something like 600 MPs in the House of Parliament, isn't there? It's not just, it's not just the ones in the cabinet that we see and hear about. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it really is um, a positive step you can take to find out who your local MP is and try and build a bit of a relationship, especially if you find that there's somebody there who's passionate about music um, or passionate about some of the other causes you're passionate about, you know, try and make that connection because they will respond to you if you email them. I think one of the good things the industry's done over the last few years is really explained the value of music to our economy as well. Like not just for tourism, but there's lots of other things which hopefully, considering there's often quite financial, economic reasons for the government making decisions is obviously quite helpful. So um, there was a couple of other kind of quite big topics on your agenda. And is, is right you're in the role for five years? Is that... That's right. Yeah. Um, so I've been elected for five years. Yeah. And this your year in. So what's what's on your agenda for um, the future? And I guess the elephant in the room is <laughs> what what can we hope for for Brexit getting a bit better for musicians too? Because that's obviously a huge topic that's that's still having a kind of lasting impact on on artists. Yeah. Well, obviously that's very high up on my agenda. Um, I still hear problems on a daily basis from musicians who are struggling to tour as a result of. Brexit. We um, there's going to be a review of the trade agreement with the European Union in uh, 2026, um, but we need change quicker than that. So what the government can do in the meantime is make agreements with each individual EU territory, and we can pick out the ones that have got the most difficult um, work permit and visa regimes. So we can try and have some of those kind of individual agreements in the meantime. Um, but I mean, at a basic level. We just need the government to rebuild a positive relationship with the EU because mm. it's in a bad state at the moment. Um, 
It's not been helped by um, all of the issues around Northern Ireland, which the government's handled extremely badly, in my opinion. Mm. Um, which I think so, I saw a clip once that was only mentioned on the news about two or three times before the referendum. <laughs> like that yeah. huge, huge topic. And it wasn't something that was really discussed and debated. No, and the government are pursuing a hard Brexit at all costs, mm. you know, and it's crazy the number of industries that have been impacted by it. So that's definitely on my agenda. Music education is high up on my agenda because, unfortunately, you can see Rishi Sunak has just got this focus on maths. They're mm. really obsessed with um, the STEM subjects. So um, it just, you know, at the expense of art subjects. And actually, if you're a kid that's really passionate about music... That might be the subject that gets you through school. That might be the thing that turns into a career for you. So it's they've got a very limited focus. We've got to change that. Also, there's plenty of maths involved in music. Absolutely. And yeah, you find that there is actually quite a link between maths and music. So it can be that music actually benefits some of your um, the other subjects that you're taking. You might get better results across the board as a result of mm-hmm. doing music. So we're very passionate about that. All our members are very passionate about that. You think um, that people who are into creative accounting would be into the arts, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Bit of creativity mm. going on there. Um, so uh, the, one of the other areas is arts funding. So mm. some of our organisations that musicians work for rely on public money um, and public money's dwindling uh, and that causes a lot of problems, potentially could cause job losses. Mm. Uh, so that's something I'm campaigning on as well. But, you know, I can be very doom and gloom. Like there's a lot of challenges that we face at the moment, but I also feel I've got a responsibility to look ahead and say we can have a bright future for music and for musicians. And we just need to paint that picture for the government. We need to say, here's the strategy. Here's how we can get there. Here's the support you can provide. Well, that feels like the end. <laughs> it's like, that's exactly like you've got the the wind in your sails of 33,000 musicians that, um, which yeah. obviously I can imagine is a pressure, but obviously that's, if you walk into a room knowing that's who's standing behind you, that must be quite a strong way of making a point that I think a lot of other people when they go into government probably don't have. And Yeah. I mean, that's the power of the union is that we've, it was speaking on behalf of that collective of musicians and also it's the best feeling to be elected by them yeah. so i really feel like i've got this strong mandate and i can go and represent them uh with authority so what can people do to join the union and what can music fans do to support some of these campaigns you're doing well um if you go to our website it's the mu uh, so t h e m u dot org um all of our campaigns are on there you can support campaigns in different ways um you can join the mu you can actually if you've not been a member before you can join for a pound um and that's for the first 6 months of your membership or as a student you can join for 20 pounds a year so that's a great deal because mm. you still get all of the benefits um but if you're not a musician and you still want to support us you can back our campaigns as i say write to your mp um or you can join us as a supporter for free um and we'll just send you a newsletter keeping you up to date on some of the work we're doing great thank you So there you have it, the first episode of the new Drown and Sound podcast. Quite different to what we were doing back in the year 2005-2006 when we originally were podcasting and had to constantly explain what a podcast was. I hope you really enjoyed that. I thought it was fascinating to chat to Naomi and find out how things work. I will include in the description of this episode links to the various different things she discussed, but obviously you can just look up the We Are The MU website or follow them on Twitter. 
or Facebook or Instagram or wherever you follow people or LinkedIn, you know, if you're really cool. And uh, speaking of which, you can find me everywhere. I'm at Sean in Sound. That's Sean spelled S-E-A-N. Um, or you can just find Dran in Sound. But love to know what you thought of the first episode, what you would like to hear me talk about in future episodes. I have got some big name musicians I want to chat to. I have a very long wish list of musicians I'm hoping, hoping, hoping I can chat to again or chat to for the first time. Um, and obviously there's lots of big topics at the moment. Like there's someone I want to talk to about TikTok who I think really gets it um, and is a musician that's just using it and having a lot of fun. There's all this stuff with AI, which I'm finding fascinating, but also confusing and concerning. Um, so I'm going to speak to people that know all about that. Sound therapy is one of the big things I'm increasingly being blown away by at the moment and really want to understand the science of how sound impacts the brain and the body. And that's hopefully going to be as interesting for you all as I'm finding it just doing my basic research into it all. I think one thing left to say is if you enjoyed the episode, if you know someone else that might enjoy it, pop it in a little WhatsApp to them, DM it to them, um, and hopefully we'll slowly grow this podcast into a, um, well, not a mighty oak, but you know, maybe, maybe like a few vines that we can make some wine from. Um, thank you very much for listening. I've been Sean Adams. This has been the Drown and Sound podcast and you have been you. Goodbye. <laughs>